favor on our lives. And we do give cheerfully this morning, knowing, Lord, everything that we have comes from you. And as we give, you're given back again to us, Lord. We thank you for that blessing and assurance in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Nothing can separate, even if I ran away, your love never fails. I know I still make mistakes, but you have new mercies for me every day. Your love. how much we really do appreciate you. Uh, from me and from the rest of the pastoral staff, we are very proud to have you working with us. Um, we really could not do um, what we do here at Praise Chapel if it wasn't for you. So thank you for those that work in the nursery and children's church and the refreshments and the information center and ushers and greeters and van drivers and those that work in the youth ministry and and just uh, everybody, those that uh, prepare the bulletins and stuff the bulletins and work in the library and the sound department and the worship team, and, and I'm trying to make sure that I get everybody in there so I don't forget anybody, but we really do appreciate you, and, and uh, um, it really is a blessing to have you working with us. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We'll be getting to that here in just a minute. The book of Acts, chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 42. 
Um, we'll get there here in just a minute. Let me ask, um, how many of here have ever been in an elevator? If you've been in an elevator, raise your hand. Well, most of us have been in an elevator. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting place, isn't it? The elevators can be... Let me ask this, how many are afraid of elevators? I, I have a, a couple friends. Actually, the, the, the folks... The, the 830 service seemed to be the most fearful. Uh, Saturday we only had, I think, one or two, and I think I only saw about three or four hands up in this service. But the 830 service, I don't know, probably about one-third of the people were afraid of elevators, so I'm not sure what that was. But <clears throat> elevators are kind of an unusual place, aren't they? Think about it for a moment. Especially crowded elevators, right? You ever been in a crowded elevator? I'm telling you what, I thought I had been in crowded elevators until... I went to Hong Kong, and in Hong Kong, that's the new definition of a crowded elevator. It's like about four foot by four foot, so there's 16 square feet, and they put about 35 people in the elevator. And so, and, and Pastor Howard and I, when we went to Hong Kong, you know, Pastor Howard and I are not the, the littlest guys on the planet, and so uh, we had to cram into this elevator, and it was quite the scene, but elevators can be a very strange and unusual place because you're packed in there like sardines and you're close to people that you've never met. You know what I'm saying? Think about it. You're you're standing there and when you get in a crowded one, you know, you got your hands in your pocket and you're like, no, don't touch, don't touch. You know, Americans have this weird, you know, personal space. It's like this radius right here. Don't get into this radius unless you're invited into that radius. radius. And, and so you get on an elevator and people are invading your space and you're not wanting to touch them. You, you, you're trying really hard and you don't want them to touch you and nobody's talking and, and, and nobody's even looking at each other. We're, we're either staring at the numbers as if that's going to make the elevator go faster or if, we're not, or if we're a little fearful, we're staring at our feet just hoping the, you know, the chain don't break. And you know we're just like, oh my gosh, this is a weird place. And no one is talking. No one. It's just deadly silent. You can actually have people that will be waiting for an elevator, and they're talking, but as soon as the elevator doors open, they go to silence. They get in the elevator, and as soon as they leave, they resume their conversation. It's just remarkable what happens in elevators. And years ago, a man was with his crazy friends, and so they stepped onto a crowded elevator, and as they were moving in, everybody's giving them that, I can't believe you're getting in this elevator look, you know that. But it was so crowded that the last guy that got on the elevator, he didn't even have enough room to turn around, so the doors close, and he's facing everybody. And so as the doors close, he looks at everybody and goes, I bet you're all wondering why I've called you here today. <laughs> and everybody in the elevator started laughing and, and the tension dropped. And, you know, the remarkable thing is people actually begin to talk to one another and they begin to relate to one another. And, and it, it was just this great moment. Now, I want you to know this morning that in many ways, an elevator is kind of a microcosm of our society. Because our society has become this great, big, impersonal institution where anonymity and isolation and independence are the uniform of the day. Listen to what I'm saying. It shows us that we can be a part of a crowd 
and never have relationship. We can be surrounded with people and never make connection. We can be in the environment where there are people everywhere and never know community. Are you hearing me? See, many of us, we, we understand we can be a part of a, a company or we can be a part of a club or we can even be a part of a church and not even feel like we belong or feel accepted. We can share carpools. We can share an office. We can even have a home and not have significant relationships. Think about Paul for a second. He's an amazing guy. Paul the apostle was born in Tarsus. He was educated in Jerusalem. He lived in Damascus and spent large amounts of time in the desert getting revelation. He moved to Antioch and that was just the beginning because ultimately he would venture out of Antioch and he would experience three extensive missionary journeys traveling from one city to another, yet this man, this apostle, had the ability to establish groups of people who would come together in what we call supportive and encouraging communities. It really was the mark of the New Testament. When you read about the New Testament, which we're going to hear in just a moment, you find out that one of the marks of the New Testament, one of the things that God had in mind for the New Testament church was this sense of community. And we, we've got to understand this morning that a significant part of our church experience must be community. See, too many people today are stuck in the shadows of anonymity. You say, well, what does that mean? It means we literally exist without name or identity. We are just another face in the crowd. We're unknown. See, the problem is what happens is oftentimes if we're not careful, we can come late, leave early, and never experience community. Never experience relationship. Never experience partnership. Never experience connection. Never experience isolation. And the tragedy is we can lose such powerful, powerful opportunities. Not only for ourselves, but for others. I want to tell you today, the greatest need in the church today is that we would come out of anonymity and into community. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm going to take the next three weeks and I'm going to talk about this idea of community because it's all about relationship. You need to understand, if you understand anything about God, God is a relational God. And if you understand anything about what has happened when we got saved, we have become his children. Therefore, we must be a relational people. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, I want you to look at our text, Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 42, the Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. 
So continually, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, this is powerful. Because think about it for a moment. In the context of this scripture, the, the, the New Testament church was birthed out of community. And out of community came a releasing of the supernatural. There came a releasing of favor. And there came a releasing of revival. Think about this. The Bible says, And they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. So fellowship became as important as learning the truth about theology and about God and about all those things and prayer. Fellowship with one another is on the priority list just like prayer is. That's, that's pretty powerful. And the releasing of the supernatural that came out of this steadfast fellowship and doctrine and breaking bread and prayer was that people's lives were changed. They, were, they established the New Testament church and revival took hold. Now, I want you to think about this with me. About a year ago, Rosemary Adams preached on a Wednesday night a sermon she calls her tree sermon. And the tree sermon is about... Uh, uh, about the aspen trees. You've heard about this. The aspen trees, they grow in groves. And what Rosemary taught us is that these groves literally are one organism. Many trees, but one life. Now that's interesting to me because this one life, they share a root system. And when they share a root system, there is something about them that makes them impervious to a lot of different things. Wind and storm and rain and, and cold and, and fire even. And somewhere along the line, because of the way they're designed in a community, they can depend on one another and protect one another. Well, there's another tree out there. It's called the California Redwood. And if you've ever seen them, they are majestic. They could grow as high as 300 feet tall. They can live as long as 200 or 2,500 years. They're amazing things. And you would think that a tree like that would have a very deep root. But the truth is their roots are very shallow. But the point is, is they're intertwined with one another. Their root systems grow together. So when the wind blows and the storm comes and when hardship is there, they depend on one another. They grow together and they hold each other up. Now, the Bible is telling us today that God has given us a, a strategy, a wonderful strategy for success, and it's based on this very same principle, and it's called His church. It's called His body, on the body of Christ on earth. That's what we are a part of. In fact, the Bible says this, that when we get saved, in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, it says, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one Body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, all have been made to drink into one spirit. So what does that mean to us? It means through Christ, we are bound together in the community of faith. Are you hearing me? Belonging to Christ means that we belong to each other. Fellowshipping with Christ means that we fellowship with each other. <coughs> through Christ... God has made us a family, a community, and it's our God-given support system. That's how we are to support one another. 
And it's in that support system some very critical and crucial needs are met in our life. See, just as a child needs a mother and a father, we need each other. Listen to what the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 22, it says, But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. What is Paul saying in this verse of Scripture? He's saying, look it, you need me and I need you. There's no way that I can look at you and go, no, I I don't need you. No, you're a part of the body because the Bible says that you have been baptized, you have been immersed, you have been submerged uh, and made a part of this body. And because you're a part of the body, you now are needful and you are in need. The Bible says this, that God places in the body as it pleases him so that each joint can supply to the other what is necessary. This is something, this, this is what's lacking, I think, in a lot of churches today because what happens is we don't understand the connectivity or the connection through community in church anymore. We need to understand that this is God's plan, not a pastor's plan. This is not a way to control the sheep. This is a way the body thrives. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, this need for others is rooted deep into our souls. If we go all the way back to creation, we'll hear the words that God spoke in Genesis 2, 18. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, we know the context of that is marriage, but there are other applications of it because when you go into Proverbs, you'll find out that two are better than one. And that a tri-braided cord will not be easily broken. So all through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we see and we get this understanding of this relationship and this connection. We should never take lightly the relationships that we have in our life. Nor should we take lightly the responsibility to build relationship. See, to survive in a fallen world requires that we cultivate Deep relationship. But here's the problem, isn't it? Because in society, we settle for the superficial. We settle for a list of friends rather than the reality of friends. Come on. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picking on Facebook. I, I, I look at Facebook. I, I'm not picking on Twitter. I'm not picking on all of that. But if that is the sum total of your investment in friendship, then you are very superficial. See, somewhere along the line, what we need to understand is that relationship doesn't just happen. It happens when we put effort into it. Effort is required. Can you say amen? See, we have to do more than just reach out. We have to share our lives. Well, there you go. See, that's the problem, preacher. I don't want to share my life. Part of the reason I don't want to share... Some of us, the reason that we don't invite people over is because we just don't want people over to see the house. Was that too... Was that, that was an arrow shot. 
The reality is, is, is that somewhere along the line, what we've got to do is say, you know what? I was created for community. I was created for relationship, and I need to get involved. It means that I, I, it's not enough just to admit my need. It's not enough just to say, oh, yeah, I need some friends. I've got to commit myself to get beyond the surface talk, and I need to be interested and accountable to people around me. This means that I need to become authentic and I need to learn to assimilate. See, authenticity occurs when the mask comes off. Conversations get deep. Hearts get vulnerable. Lives are shared. Accountability is invited. Tenderness flows. Think about this for a moment. Authenticity. Being real. Being real means that I let you in. I put down my guard. Now listen, I'm not a novice in this. I'm not telling you to run out and throw a dart in the wind and the first person it hits that you got to tell them all your deep, dark secrets. I'm saying that you do this thoughtfully and prayerfully and you find somebody in your life that you can connect with. You find somebody that you resonate with. You find somebody that you can invest in and you begin to build a relationship and it's going to take some effort. It means that you're going to have to share your life. Can you say amen? Amen. See, in this context, believers in the body of Christ become brothers and sisters in the Lord. We become a family. And let me tell you something. There is nothing more powerful in all of life than a family. In fact, the reason that we won the Revolutionary War was because of family. Somewhere along the line, families rose up, men and women that were going to protect their farm and had decided that taxation was enough, and you know what, I'm going to give something to my children, and they stood against the greatest known army of the day, and they said, I'm going to defend my family. There's something powerful in family. Can you say amen? And family is a part of the plan of God. That's why he says, I am your father. In fact, family goes so far is that family is the model of government in the kingdom. Come on now. Think about this. You know what? One of the greatest needs that we have in our church is that we find spiritual fathers and mothers that will rise up. I was thinking about Pastor Howard um, uh, the other day. I was thinking about his testimony. Pastor Howard would often tell us that he was not a star convert. This is a guy that had some pretty rough edges. Even after a long time of salvation, he still had some. And admitted, he was, that's no secret. He came to church, his, one of his first services, he wore bib overhauls, no underwear, no shirt. Big old beard down to here. He was still smoking dope after he got saved. He would go smoke dope in his shed. So why is that? Well, because he didn't think God could see through the shed. So he goes to church, and there was a couple in the church, in the Bullhead City Church, where he got saved. And their last names were the Hueys, and the Hueys developed a friendship. They, They went to Howard and Pam. Howard and Pam were in their 20s. The Hueys were probably in their 50s, and they they came to him, and they said, you know what, we want to take you out to dinner. They didn't take him out to correct him. They didn't take him out to change his his clothing or, or to do that. All they came to do was to love him and build relationship. And through that relationship, Howard found some stability to where he could begin to change his life and become the man that he would ultimately be. 
Why? Because somebody took on the role of a spiritual mother or father. Oftentimes we're looking for ministry in the church and we're wondering, what can I do? Be a spiritual mother or father. It's the most powerful thing you can do. See, everybody wants my job, but this is the lowest job. See, in the American church, we've, put all the, we've made the guy up front the star. This, this, this isn't the star position. The star position is the servant. If you read in Scripture about the body, it says those that you can't see deserve more honor. And those that do and are seen, they don't need it. They got it. Are you hearing me? So what we need is we need to understand this, this dynamic of community and family. And we need to begin to assimilate and be authentic. Well, what is assimilation? It's when we absorb our lives into people. We become actively participating in their life. We're sharing with them and caring with. Paul the Apostle described assimilation in five words. He says, we imparted our life. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, listen to it. In the, in the New King James, it says, So, affectionately loving for you, we were well pleased to impart into you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives because you had become dear to us. In, in, in the NIV, it says it this way. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well, because you had become precious to us. And in the New Living Translations, it says, we loved you so much that we gave you uh, not only God's good news, but we gave you our lives too. What's Paul writing? He says, I wasn't just going to come and preach. I wasn't just going to stand up and tell you how it was. I was going to invest my life. I gave my life to you. Paul didn't erect any barriers. He was not aloof. He opened up his life to others. See, we cannot simply just cheer people on and give them best wishes. We need to learn to make room for them in our lives. See, when we make room for them in our lives, it's then the walls of indifference begins to come down. Apathy begins to get dispelled. We begin to discover the best part of ourselves and the best part of others. Our text tells us that the very first community of believers gathered together on a regular basis for worship, prayer, study, and fellowship. That's something. Acts chapter 2 verse 44 says, Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. So in other words, they found a community that was based on the commonness of, or what was in common in their life. Now in their time, they shared things even to the point of financial things. But somewhere we could take a a page from their book and say, wait a second, we need to come together in a common way. See, it wasn't easy to follow Christ in the first century. Times were tough, persecution was rampant. The early believers, they had to bind themselves together in fellowship and community. They needed each other because they understood that there was strength in numbers. It's still not so easy to follow Christ, even in our day and age. 
Things like discouragement and temptation, sin, apathy, failure, addiction, unbelieving family and friends, doubts, rejections, unanswered questions. All of these things come at us in overwhelming proportions. So how do we deal with them? The way we deal with it and face, and face these obstacles is we deal with it in the community of faith. See, there are no lone rangers in the New Testament. Lone ranger Christian, it's an oxymoron. It's kind of like saying a fat skinny guy or a skinny fat guy. That's what I like to believe I am, is I am a skinny fat guy. Because see, on the inside of me, there's a skinny guy wanting to come out. I've just found that a pizza shuts him up. But there are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. When we face obstacles, it is the community of faith that comes alongside of us and helps us. See, God has given us each other. In our text, we see the focus of this community. In verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. In other words, they were coming together on a regular basis. See, the experience of authentic community is only one purpose that God intends to be fulfilled by the church, but it is an important one. See, the writings of Scripture, they reveal to us that God intends the church not to be just one more bolt on the wheel of our activity in our lives, but to be the very hub of our spiritual life. Are you hearing me? The church, which is the community of faith and believers, is essential this morning to our spiritual well-being. We need each other. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, there's something about that. See, God uses this community of faith to do some powerful things in the lives of those who are connected. See, through this community of faith, it's where we find strength for the journey. We find a place to minister and a never-ending source of guidance. See, God intends that we be supported and strengthened and encouraged and empowered through the community of believers. The fact of the matter is that God works in our lives through other believers. We used to, we used to say it this way, sometimes I need Jesus with skin on. Sometimes I need a person to be dispensing the love of God in my life. Amen. But if I make no connection, then I can, never re- I can never be a recipient of that love, nor can I be a dispenser of that love, unless I make connection. And this is what God has called us to. It's what he's called the church to, is to be this kind of community. 
that we would help one another, that we'd empower one another, that we would love one another, especially during, during painful times. Because it's in those times that we will gain a new sense of the love of God. Have you ever been discouraged? And someone, a Christian, a friend, a faithful brother or sister in the Lord came alongside you and they spoke a word and they didn't even really know what they were saying, but it was a a timely word. It was a word that penetrated beyond the facade and it touched your heart and it made the difference in that moment. And you walked away and you said, thank God. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for that person that shared the love of God with me. Thank you that you touched my life through that person. That's what the community is supposed to be about. We can't afford to go it alone, church. We just can't. We can't do this on our own. We cannot afford to be insulated or isolated from others. But the problem, church, is it's so easy to come to church and never connect. Especially in a church like ours here at Praise Chapel, we, we have three different services. And if you come consistently to one of those services, there is two other services filled with people that you'll never know go to your church. That are part of the body you are a part of. And so what, you say, well, what's got to happen? There's got to be a deliberateness about this. It's, it's a deliberateness that says, you know what? I might, you know, what I might do is I might spend five minutes in the foyer instead of leaving like the building's on fire. Come on now. I'm not picking on anybody. I'll pick on my dad a little bit. My dad always leaves like the building's on fire. He, I always want to shake his hand, you know, I want to touch base with him. And sometimes I can't make to the door. I see his car leaving. And it's like, well, he's gone. Holy cow. I look up to see if the building's burning. You know, why did he leave so quick? And sometimes what happens is, it's amazing to me. And here, can I pick, can I pick a little bit? Can I, just a little? Yeah. One of the things that happens, and, and sometimes it is a little frustrating, sometimes I'll say to you, let's stand to our feet. At the moment I say, let's stand to our feet, I generally have a couple little things to say, but then people are already walking. Right. It's like, wait, time out. Stop. And then I thought, well, don't have them stand to their feet. But then my habit is I have them stand to their feet, and it's like, oh, my God, I'm in trouble. And so somewhere along the line, what we got to do is maybe what we need to do is just slow down a little bit. We'll get to Denny's. It'll be all right. It's already crowded. It ain't going nowhere. There's two of them in town. If one don't fit, go to the other one. And you didn't need it anyway. No, just that. Now, now I am picking, right? But somewhere along the line, what we got to do is we got to start connecting together. Why? Because we need each other's strength. It's also in the place of the community of faith where we find the opportunity to minister. I've shared this verse of Scripture with you a hundred times if I've done it once. The Bible says this is the original plan for the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And Jesus gave gifts to men, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. There could be nothing more clear. My job as a pastor is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Well, I thought you were our minister. That's what we pay you to do. Some of it. Part of that's true. But part of the community of faith and believers is that we minister to one another. 
and that there is a responsibility. And we all have a God-given responsibility to reach out and minister to each other. It's wonderful. Let me tell you something. You can chase just about anything you want in life and never find satisfaction. (coughs) You can have loads of money. I remember one guy said, I don't have any money problems because I have no money to have problems with. (laughs) Oftentimes money brings bigger problems than the ones you didn't have or you thought you had. You can chase fame. And generally that's just living in a house, a a glass house, because people throw rocks at those they see. You can have power, and that can tend to corrupt. You can get a new car. You can get a new house. You can, you can, you know, I, 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 you can do just about anything you want. You won't be satisfied until you find your place in the body, and that which flows from other people flow into you and ultimately out of you. That becomes the source of satisfaction. That's where we begin to connect. That's where we begin to feel the purpose of life. So what do I got to do? You need to find your place here. You say, well, what do you mean? We, we have wonderful volunteers here, but we need more. You say, well, what do I need to do? Well, find out. Ask. We, we need nursery workers. Oh, now, now. Okay, a good sermon just turned bad, preacher. I don't, want to, I don't want to change diapers. I don't want to deal with babies. Don't make it about what you got to do. Make it about what it's for. What is it for? It's so that mom and dad can come to church without being distracted by baby Bubba. And you know what the amazing thing is? Is you can take baby Bubba into your arms and you can pray over that child and speak into that child's life and you can change the destiny of that child's life right from the nursery. Maybe it's children's church. You say, well, you know, they're they're just a bunch of wild kids. They might be. They might be wild. But there are seeds that you're sowing into them that one day they may call on that seed and it will grow and produce fruit. I know today that I am saved and in the ministry because of a a little woman named Mrs. Schultz. Mrs. Schultz was my Sunday school teacher when I was just a little guy. Just a little guy. And she told me about Jesus. She told me about the Bible. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And she, you know what? Somewhere along the line, those words penetrated my life. Ultimately, my mom was able to lead me to the Lord when I was seven years old. Amen. At the radical age of seven. A sinner that I was. <laughs> Horrible sinner. God saved me. Years ago, I went back to see Mrs. Schultz before she passed away and was able to sit down with her and tell her that I'd become a pastor and that I'd gone over around the world and preached the gospel, and she was so delighted. See, somewhere along the line, my fruit is her fruit. But see, somewhere what we've done is we've become a culture that revels in the superstar. We've become a culture that revels in notoriety and All of those things. Let me tell you something. It ain't all it's cracked up to be. (laughs) We need to connect with people and we need to serve. Maybe it's being an usher, a greeter. So well, what qualifications you need to be a greeter? You got a hand and a smile. Say, God bless you, man. It's good to see you. Maybe an usher. 
Maybe it's more. Maybe, maybe it's something more significant in ministry where you've got to spend some time in training. That's okay. Maybe you have a call. Maybe you're called to be a pastor, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, whatever it might be. Maybe you're called to one of those. But somewhere, without making connection, you'll never realize that. See, the Bible tells us that God is placed in the body as it's pleased him. Do you understand that you are, body pl- you are, pleased? You are placed in this body as it pleases the Father? We're a family. We've been placed. See, I was born into a family. I remember when I was young, before I got saved, I was about six. And I had had enough. I was done with the rules at the house. My mom was, man, she was a mean taskmaster. And I was done. I was done with her cramping my style. So I announced to her one day, I said, I am running away. And she said, would you like me to help pack your bags? And I said, I said being that I have never done that, yes, you, you could help me. And so she helped pack my bags, and I took my suitcase to the edge of the driveway because we didn't have sidewalks, and I sat there for a minute and waiting for somebody to come by because I had my thumb out, and nobody came by. It was, we lived on an old country road, and... So after about 15 minutes, I, I got an idea. I'll call Uncle Bob. I'll call my Uncle Bob. And, and, and so I, I called my uncle. I, I, actually, what I did is I walked back to the door, and I knocked on the door because I didn't live there anymore. My mom answered the door, and she says, can I help you? And I said, I was wondering if I could borrow your phone. And she says, well, who do you want to call? I said, I want to call my Uncle Bob. She goes, okay, long as it's not like long distance or international because I can't afford that. And I said, no, it's, it's a local call. She says, would you like me to help you dial, being that you can't reach the phone? And I, I said, sure, that would be really helpful. And so she dialed, and my Uncle Bob got on the phone, and I said, would you come pick me up? I, I'm running away. I can't take it at this house anymore. And he says, well, let me tell you something, John. He said, you're always welcome at my house, but you can't move in here. <laughs> what? He says, because you don't belong here. You're not a part of this family. You're a part of your family. Well, I can't take it here anymore. You know what? My, this house, it's offensive. Because they don't always keep the air conditioner the way I like it. Or, you know, in the winter we're cold, in the winter, summer we're hot. And, you know, my dad plays music that I don't even understand. And, you know what? Somebody's always sitting in my seat. And then that, you know, mom always wants me to do something. She wants me to clean my room. He goes, I understand. But that's a part of being a family. The reason you clean your room and do dishes, John, is he's telling me this. He goes, because that's your part in the family. Oh, so I'm a part of that. Yeah, and you need to be there. See, the problem is, church, that we laugh at that, and I'm kind of hamming that up. But that's just like us. Well, you know, I don't like that church anymore. No, no, you were planted here by God. Not by me. Oh, wait, now we're we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Because, see, being a part of a Community of faith can be difficult, can it? It can be frustrations. There can be some conflict. But we're a part of a family. I, I think about my boys all the time. You know, they're brothers. They love each other. But uh, some of the nastiest girl fights I've ever saw were between my two boys. <laughs> Holy cow! But hey, don't get in that fight, because then they'll join together and fight you. 
There's something about family. The problem is we've lost it. It's like, it's like throwaway marriages. I won't go there. I'll, uh, that'll be a few weeks down the road when we talk about that one. This is important, church. We need to, we need to say, because see, we've lost the days where we say, this is my church. I'm going to fight for my church. I'm going to invest in my church. This isn't just the place I go. This isn't just another bolt on the wheel of my life. This is the hub of my life. One man told the story expressing this very dynamic about a group of porcupines <laughs> that were, mar- were marooned in a large frozen field one cold, bitter night. And the wind began to blow and it got even colder and so there was no way of escaping. They couldn't even burrow into the ground because the ground was frozen. So all the porcupines came together and they decided that they would huddle together to keep warm. Their sharp quills begin to pinch and hurt. And the closer they moved together, the more the pain increased. Some of the animals could not bear the pain and said, I'm done with this. I'm going to go sleep alone. In the morning, it was those porcupines that were froze to death. See, sometimes church, I'll admit that churches can be like hugging porcupines. Well, Pastor, you're getting real honest. No, I'd say I've been around a while. I have been a porcupine that people have tried to hug. And I've hugged a few of you, and you were a porcupine. And it can be difficult, and it can be hard. But in the midst of all of that, it's still worth the pain. Because you provide something for me that I can't get anywhere else. Because we're a family. And we belong together. Our God is a God of relationship, and he's called us to be together. Listen, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. From Genesis to Revelation, God talks about this dynamic of community. So what do we got to do? Well, Pastor Howard and I used to always talk about how that when churches get big, they got to get smaller. And you say, what does that mean? Well, that means we create small groups and places of interest where we can, where we fit and we resonate and we fellowship together because it is a part of the plan. And so we have to first come to a place where we're going to commit to the whole. This is my church. My church. And just because every now and then I get bugged, I've been bugged by the preaching here before, and I was preaching. (laughs) Wow, that sermon. That preacher ought to get the grip on that sermon. But somewhere what we've got to do is we've got to say, wait a second, there's more at work here than just, you know, people coming together for one hour on the weekend or an hour and a half on the weekend. But we're coming together as the body of Christ, and we've been placed in the body as it pleases the Father. And that we have something to give and we have something to receive. And that this really is the plan of God. It's really what his purpose is all about. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, and fellowship. And the supernatural was released. 
favor grew and souls were won. What an amazing thing that is. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message. We thank you for the truth of this. And I pray, God, for each and every one here today that you would help all of us, God, to find our place. Lord, that you would cause this message, this idea of community to sink into our lives, to grip us and realize that we're here on purpose for a purpose. And that my life does matter. And that I'm going to make a decision to reach out. That I'm not going to be a rolling ranger. Maybe it's as simple, Lord, as I just need to shake somebody's hand. Maybe it's I just spend a couple minutes longer in the foyer as I'm leaving. Maybe it's I need to get involved in a ministry or on an usher team or a greeter team or work in the information center or the nursery or children's church or whatever it might be. But Lord, I'm, I'm going to be a part of this because this is where you've called me to be. I'm going to find my place and I'm going to allow my gift to be exposed and my gift to grow. I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room that you would strengthen them in this. I would pray, Father, that we have such a revelation of connection and that as we come together, the very results that happened in the beginning would happen here, that the supernatural would be released, that marvelous signs and wonders, healings of all kinds, deliverance and powerful interaction would happen. Father, and I pray that favor would grow with God and man. And Father, I pray that everyone that should be saved would be saved and that you add to the church daily. Father, you are not slack according to your promise, but you say that all should be saved and that's good with us, God. And we ask that you just move in that dimension. And Father, we're careful to give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, isn't God good? Amen. Give him glory. Tell him you love him today.